So today um, is love, loving on your husband. How do we how do we be a good lover to our husband? We've been working our way through the fruits of the spirits in Galatians five. We started with um, talking about the spirit, uh, the Holy uh, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, and uh, how many people practiced a pause this week? We talked last week about taking a pause during the day. Just um, I have been setting my timer every day for ten and two, and at ten. My little alarm goes off and whatever I'm doing, I just stop for a few minutes and just check, you know, where am I at with the Lord right now? Am I, you know, I pay attention to what he has to say. And, uh, uh, and then at two again, and it's amazing. I always think I'm pretty aware of what's going on, but when that alarm goes off, I come out of layers of, you know, concentration or whatever. And it's just really a good, good heart. Check. I really have um, appreciated that, um, to do that. And then last week we talked about the love of God. Right. So we're talking about fruits of the joy of the spirit are love, joy, peace. So we're starting with love. Spending a couple of weeks on love because there's different kinds of love. And last week we talked about God's love. And we talked about the fact that we love him because he first loved us. And he's provided us with salvation. And uh, you know, he, he does it all. He loves us. He pursues us. And he saves us. And, um, and he works all things together for good for those who love him. So. It's an amazing relationship. And today I want to talk about a third kind of love, or a second, actually, because that was love of God. Then we'll do love of husbands today, and the next week will be love of children. So let's just say a, a prayer and before we get started in his word. Dearest Jesus, we just thank you so very much for this day and this time together. I thank you for the beautiful worship this morning, Lord. And just, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to turn our eyes on you, Lord. There's so much going on. There's so much to keep us distracted. I just pray that you would keep our, our minds and our hearts open, that you would make us pliable in your hands, Lord, and that the word would just really ring true um, and keep us uh, mindful of you, Lord. And I pray that you would bring these things uh, to work, to mind during the week so that we can practice them, Lord, practice uh, the filling of the spirit and practice your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. And then in John 14, 21, you know, what does God ask of us? He says, if you, if you love me, you will obey me. So we don't, we don't do good things to earn salvation, but once we're his children, he asks us to obey him. There are worksheets on the back if you didn't get one um, to have to keep track this morning. <clears throat> and God's main command is summed up in these two phrases, love God, love people. So God tells us to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul. And then uh, he tells us, um, that we should love others as he's loved us. That's a big call, isn't it? We do need the Holy Spirit. That's why we started with the Holy Spirit. This isn't something we can just drum up. We can't just decide to do, um, to do God's love. We have to be filled with his Holy Spirit to love his way. I have to say that just studying these scriptures has really um, softened my heart the last couple of weeks. Um, I feel like God's really just brought some things to remembrance and um, I hope, I hope it's been the same for you. I hope that when you go home during the week, that things that you've heard during, on Thursdays uh, really resonate with you. They come to mind and that they're making a difference in your home and in your life. And that's why we're here. That's why ladies come week after week is because it makes a difference. And um, as a young woman, this was this, this particular lesson today was a, the lesson that made the, probably the biggest impact in my life after uh, love God, of course, but how to love my, how to love my husband. 
when you when you're first married, you think that will never be an issue, right? <laughs> it doesn't last, does it? That feeling, that feeling, you know, and then you think you're so helpful. So let's let's go through it and just I hope that today gives you some really um, turns your mind away from the way the world sees marriage and really helps you get a handle on why God values marriage and what we can do to make our husbands know that we love them. Um, so there's three words that we talk about in these lessons for love. Agape is that affectionate love that we have for each other. It's a goodwill of benevolence, a brotherly love. I have an agape love for each of you and ladies on Zoom as well. And then um, the next kind would be uh, philotechnos, which is um, fond of children. It's that maternal love. Um, only a mother has that love for her children or a child that she's caring for. And then philandros is what we're talking about today, and that's love husband. And that's the idea of a friendly lover. That's the idea of being affectionate as a wife, an associate, and a, and a companion. And in King, King James, when we look up Titus 2, um, it talks about, um, it breaks apart that love. Uh, most versions just say, um, uh, you know, kind of like love your husband and children. But in the King James, it actually has separate words. These two separate words for love your husband and love your children. And love husband comes first. And I really like to encourage you, you know, that maternal love, sometimes it fills us up. You know, hey, I got my baby. I'm nursing my baby. I love my baby. I get to hug my baby. I got this wonderful snuggly contact. And then um, maybe husband comes second. But the best thing we can do for our husband, for our children is to love their daddy. So it starts with love husband. Because that's what God says. And our marriages uh, start with a vow, right? And uh, to have and to hold is generally what we say, right? We say, um, we're gonna have and we're gonna have and hold each other through all kinds of trials, through um, sickness and health, whether we're rich or poor, and all kinds of circumstances. We are there for each other. That idea of having and holding is a pledge. It's a it ties into a legal term, so it's a commitment. It has no escape clause. It's not an option. It holds the idea of forgiveness and mercy and grace. And it, as Christians, it holds the idea of praying for each other and upholding each other in prayer. Um, no matter the circumstances. I, I brought my, I don't know if, probably some of you guys who've been here a while have seen these little books. I have a few of them left. But there's some of the key things uh, that Jim, Jim and Naomi Wright put together for marriage. And there's some sweet passages and thoughts um, throughout, including some words from Jim at the back. But they always pointed us to the fact that marriage is not just uh, husband and wife, but we need that third cord of God as well. So marriage takes three. I once thought marriage took just two to make it go, but now I'm convinced it takes the Lord also. And not one marriage fails where Christ is asked to enter as lovers come together with Jesus in the center. But marriage seldom thrives and homes are incomplete till he is welcomed there to help avoid defeat. In homes where Christ is first, it's obvious to see those unions really work for marriage still takes three. Very tensely, and based on Ecclesiastes 4.12, a threefold, threefold cord is not easily broken. So this vow we take, we take before 
men and before God. It's a very serious vow we take when we get married. So each point I gave you today, we're going to do an acronym on husband. And each thing we talk about, we'll also talk about um, God's truth and Satan's deception. Because Satan really doesn't want our marriages to um, succeed. Marriage is how we have children. Marriage is how we raise, we teach our children about the Lord. It's how we hold fast and have community and encourage each other in the word. And if Satan can break that apart, he's won a big battle. So nowadays, a lot of people like to write their own vows. And in those vows, there's the absence of a, of a lifetime pledge. There's the absence of um, a commitment. There's a lot, there, a lot of times there's like an option, like as long as we're growing together and we're happy and we make each other happy, we'll stay together. And that is not a marriage vow. A marriage vow is till death to his part. God says he hates divorce. And please know, ladies, that we have many ladies with us who have been divorced maybe once, twice, even three times, we take you guys where you are today. God takes us where we are today. All we need is an open, repentant heart, and he heals the past, and he helps us to move forward. So please don't ever, ever feel judged if you have had a divorce, um, and we don't judge anybody where that would actually happen. We've had a few ladies who just couldn't hold on. The husband was maybe very um, abusive or or um, was, um, adultery or whatever that was not, and the husband was not repentant. That does happen. But we counsel what we can counsel for the women. And so many times, 98% of the time, we see things turn around through all kinds of things, even through things like pornography, um, adultery, um, just being done. You know, we, um, when a woman's heart changes and softens towards her husband, it can change whole home. So please know that we are not here to judge or to, to hold up the law. We're not here for that. We're here for grace and mercy and starting today in God's word. So Satan's deception is to change those vows from a permanent thing to have an option, right? Um, and to take away the seriousness of that. Um, so one of the tips we always give the ladies is you know, if you're having a hard time with your husband, don't open the door for divorce. Don't say divorce. Don't say it because once you've said it, it's out there. That door is open. Don't threaten it. Don't threaten to leave. If you're in a serious kind of a, like, I got to get out of here safe-wise, safety for myself and my children, then separation is a good thing. But most of the time, for most of us, it's everyday problems that God can get us through. And he can change our hearts. And if we just listen to the world... We'll lose patience, we'll be unmerciful, we won't be forgiving, and things could end badly. If we practice God's ways of forgiveness and grace and mercy and his kind of love, not based on feeling, we have a good chance that um, our marriage and our relationship will turn around. And we've had ladies come and say, you know, I thought I had a great relationship and I realized it could be a whole lot better. You know, how about the lady in the car, his little helper, right? You know, maybe we didn't know we did that. Or maybe we thought it was okay we did that. And that's, that's just a funny little skit. But we do that in a lot of ways. And we're going to kind of talk through that about respecting our husband and what he hears compared to what we, you know, we may think we're helping, but maybe we're really not. <laughs> um, so don't say divorce. That's, our, that's one of our, our key things. If you have an issue, please come. Um, we have ladies that are counsel. If you have a husband who's willing to come for counsel, we have a wonderful pastor and his wife, uh, Rita and Ken Alexander, who are available. So um, there is help and encouragement for you. So let's look at that acronym. 
husband acronym. You just take the first letter of each, you know, the word and you kind of hook something to that. So this week is your thinking, what was that lesson about? You can take the word husband and try to recall maybe something we talked about today. So let's, um, I wanted to just uh, read the little passage out of Genesis. We go to Genesis a lot because that's, we learn a lot in Genesis. We learn what God's purposes were and what the beginnings were. So starting in verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground of the Lord, God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So helper. Helper is actually a very wonderful word. The word the, in, um, in Genesis here in the original language means help, is called ezer. And it means helper. And throughout scripture, it's actually used for, um, for the Holy Spirit. Not that we are to be our husband's Holy Spirit. We're not called to be his conscience or his, or to dwell in him or to teach him. Um, we are called to be his, his helper, his support. Um, just read a quick uh, couple of Psalms here. Psalm 70, verse 5. Is one other place this word. This, if, you look, if you just go home and do a word, uh, word study on Helper, you'll find all kinds of good stuff. Do you ever do word studies? Those are fun. You just pick a word like that, um, helper or easer, and just see, and God will open up things, and it, one verse will lead to another, and you'll learn some things here in the scripture. Uh, Psalm 70, verse 5, but I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. We all want a helper, don't we? A helper is a good thing. Helper's a good thing, an easer. The word helper carries the, the ideas of intuition. How many times has your intuition helped your family? Women are intuitive. And sometimes guys aren't real open to that intuition. But we have found in our own marriage, the longer we're married, the more my husband appreciates that intuition. And we have learned over the years to trust each other. He trusts my intuition. I trust his judgment. And then um, if we don't, if we, you know, we work at it till we get there, but it's not something that's just like, oh, Jennifer, you know, it's like, oh, I better think about that. Let, you know, let me think, let me hear what you have to say about that. But that has taken time and I've had to earn that by being sound minded um, and learning to communicate in, in godly ways. Um, this helper is merciful. That's an idea of mercy, of nurturing, of concern, of relationship. If you need a body part to go with helper, it's the neck. What you know? What, what can the head do without the neck? <laughs> Not much. Yeah, you need that neck. It's important. And it's helper, not helpless, ladies. Helper, helper. And the Proverbs thirty-one woman, I think, is a perfect, perfect 
example of one who is a helper. And when you think of the Proverbs 31 woman, do you think of someone who's weak and, you know, like sits around bonbons and watches TV? No, she was resourceful. She was competent. She looked to the future. She was thinking about her family. She was, you know, um, we got a line up last week about how to save all her groceries. She was thinking. She was bringing things from afar. It takes effort and time and planning to, to have a household um, that supports. It's a help to her husband when we take care of our home. She's influential in a godly way, not in a driving way. Um, valuable. She's valuable. Her husband, she's the treasure to her husband. She's trustworthy. She speaks well of her husband. She's trustworthy. Does your husband trust that when you're out with your friends, at Bible study, you know, maybe an evening of pottery painting or whatever, does he trust that your mouth is saying good things about him? Does he trust you? Does he trust that you're doing the things he's asked you to do, that you're looking well after your household? And, and the tiniest woman is also very representative of her family. What do people, if people only knew you, what would they know about your family? They didn't know your husband or your children. Well, that would be based on what comes out of your mouth and what you do. So what is Satan's deception on this? Really? A helper? Seriously? Aren't you smarter than that? Aren't you worth more than that? Couldn't you do a better job leading than he could? Satan plays a real number with that one, and it's not very popular today. Um, try telling a secular woman that you're your husband's helper. How well is that going to go? Not very well. So Satan plays with that in our minds. But we have to know it's God's design. God has created man and woman equal in value, but different in function. There would be no need for man and woman if we were both the same. And it's really, really hard to make decisions when you're totally 50-50. I believe God asks us each to give 100% with the man. And God tells us that um, the man is the head of the household. He's the provider. He's the protector. He's the priest. He's responsible for all those things. You know, in, um, in, in Genesis, when, um, when the fall happens, what happens? Well, first, um, serpent comes and talks to Eve and says, hey, you know, God told you that this tree is bad, but I tell you what, if you eat of that tree, you'll have all kinds of good knowledge. And she's deceived. She goes, oh, I don't want to miss out. And so she eats it. And then her husband comes along and she, he, she hands it to him and Adam eats it. But he's not deceived. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he's the head of this family. So when God is, then they hide, right? And they cover themselves with, with some leaves. And who, when God comes to the garden, who does he ask for? Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Not Adam and Eve, not Eve, even though she started it, right? Adam, because why? Because he's the head of his household. So that was the very first um, indication that that was the way it was going to be. So let's go to H. I'm sorry, we did H. Let's go to you. Understand the differences. Um, you know, uh, Where's my little book? It slid under there. Um, when, when we get married, you know, guys kind of have this idea that, you know, she's going to always be this sweet little thing. And she's going to always love me so much. And we're just going to have fun. And she's never going to change. 
And all the while she's thinking, hmm, I, you know, this, this is good, but I, you know, we'll fix him. He's got some work to do, right? So um, this is out of Naomi's little book, too. This is called reverse reasoning. And this is what happens. You know, the things that, and typically, some of the things that we loved about him eventually would have turned out that they really annoy us. I don't know why that works that way. Because um, we're human and we're simple, I guess. <clears throat> she married him because he was strong and masculine. She divorced him because he was a very dominating male. He married her because she was fragile and petite. He divorced her because she was weak and helpless. She chose him because he knew how to provide a good living. She left him because all he thought about was his business. She loved him because he was easygoing and romantic. She got a separation because he was shiftless and fun-loving. He married her because she was steady and sensible. He divorced her because she was boring and dull. So it kind of shows you what happens when we let the world in and when we don't keep sound-minded and we don't keep uh, God's intent for our marriage in, in check. Um, in Ephesians 5, 22, wives submit to your own husbands as the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church and he is the savior of the body. And um, so I'm just gonna skip to the end of that, which is 33. And again, you'll have the second hour to go through the whole the whole passage. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. See to it. That means it's a little work, ladies. Sometimes we don't feel respectful. We don't feel like he deserves our respect, but God tells us to see to it that we respect him. So um, do you know how important, if you've been coming for a while, you know how important it is for a man to be respected. Um, Shanti Felton, if you get any of her books, um, they're, they're awesome. She does, she does surveys and she kind of interprets that into, um, oh, uh, for instance, um, she, uh, she did a poll on, on men, would you rather be loved or respected? If you only could have one, what would you have? And most men chose respect. I mean, oh, unanimous, you know, almost unanimously, men would rather be respected than loved. That feeling of respect is so important to a guy. If you wonder if your husband feels respected, ask him. Ask him. And then listen. Don't be defensive. Just listen. Ask him. Um, here's, some, here's some things for you to think about. Have you asked his advice and not taken it? These might be some ways that disrespect comes out. Have you asked his advice and not taken it? Have, he, have, have you ignored the things he's asked of you? Honey, could you run by the post office? I need this dropped off. And then you let the kids' priorities take over. You do what the kids ask first. The greatest thing you can do for your children is let them see you doing the things that dad has asked of you. Yeah, I'll do that for you, but first we're going to do what dad asks. Or dad's coming home and he really likes the trash taken out. Son, can you take, get that out of here? Get off the computer and go do that for your dad. Or scoop the poop or whatever it is at your house. Or maybe having it picked up a little bit or the music turned off or whatever he likes. You know, he's been working all day. What does he like? Let's show respect. Let's have the house like he wants it when he comes home. And not in a, you know, as realistic as it can be. Do what you can do toward him. And when he comes in, greet him. Greet him. And let mom, make sure mom gets to greet him first. 
that's sometimes hard when the kids are little, but later on, you know, get up there and give dad that big hug when he comes in. Let him know you're glad he's home. Welcome him with a 10-second kiss. Remember, 10 seconds is longer than you think. Try it. It's a while. 10-second kiss. Let him know you're glad he's there. When he leaves in the morning, take the time to walk him out. Tell him goodbye. Wish him a good day. Let him know you're on his side. That shows him respect. Um, what about when he talks about his, um, his plans and his goals? Do you criticize him? Do you clip his wings and say, oh, that's dumb. That'll never happen. What are you thinking? Or do you support him? Chances are, ladies, those dreams probably won't come true. Just encourage him. And if they do, enjoy the ride. We are, women are so, um, we, we tend to be fear-based and we like things the same. And, we're, and we just, sometimes we tend to poo-poo those things. So don't. Um, have you ever rolled your eyes when he's told you something? You know, maybe the way he's worked something out or he's talking about work or he's talking about his plans or whatever. Do you roll your eyes at him? Do you think that shows respect? What about his hobbies and interests? Is that like, that's your thing? There's a place for your thing and my thing. I get it. But, you know, um, for instance, at our house, my husband loves college football. So from August till February, we watch college football. And for a lot of years, I was really um, not very nice about it, <laughs> especially when the kids were little and the TV's blaring and everybody needs something and the TV's blaring. And, you know, it's time for dinner and the TV's blaring. I just, I, I, I could have done a lot better. But now... I love it. And the kids all come over and the grandkids come over and it's a time to celebrate and have fun and just do something silly, you know, watch football. Oh, don't tell them I said it was silly. <laughs> I do enjoy it. I mean, I actually kind of understand it now too. So do you, do, you, do you encourage him in his hobbies or in his adventures? And sometimes it's not easy. My sweet husband who was in that horrible accident is um, two hours from the top of Mount Whitney right now, which is the highest mountain in the United States with two of my daughters. And um, was it hard to let him go? Yes. Um, I really tried to keep my mouth shut. I think I did. I'll have to ask him how he did when he gets back. I tried not to say, oh, be careful. And, you know, that's so scary. And be sure you watch out for this. He's a grown person. He's, you know. So, you know, do you let him have his adventures? Do you, and maybe you, do you show respect by spending time with him? You know, going on an errand to Ace Hardware can be really romantic, honestly. You know, just down alone in the car. Do you go with him? Do you let him finish his sentences? Or do you talk over him or finish them for him? Especially when there's someone else involved. Ladies, are you one of those ladies who talk in the background when your husband's on the phone? Don't do that. You, you know, you hear him talking, oh, tell him this. Or, you know, if you want to tell him that, call him back later. Don't talk over your husband and correct everything he says. Oh, my goodness, that's so annoying. For him and for the person on the other one, let me tell you. All right. So it's H-U-S. And S is, the big S word is sex. Oh, sex. It's to be enjoyed with my husband. It is not a dirty thing, ladies. Many of us grew up, grew up thinking sex was a dirty thing. And that was our, probably our elders' attempt to keep us from doing such things till later, till we're married. But it's, just, it's meant to be a really special bond with our husbands. It increases endorphins. And it's a special little world that just you and he get. And you get 
memories together and you get, um, you know, an intimacy that nobody else shares, you know. Um, yeah. My sweet husband, he loves to, um, you know, um, will be somewhere and he'll look at me across the room, you know, like, I remember. I'm like, don't do that in front of other people. You're looking at me. <laughs> so a guy ever do that. It's like, hey, I can see your thoughts. Stop it. But to him, that's really special. You know, this is my girl. This is my girl. She loves me. She, you know, she wants to be with me. That means so much to our guys if we want to be with them. We should want to be with them. We should want to enjoy them. We should want them to enjoy us. And I, we've, we've talked about this before. You know, you as a wife, you're the only one that your husband can look at and not sin. Because why? Because God tells us that sex in marriage, is, that marriage bed is undefiled, but any sex outside of marriage bed is sin. So it's this really sacred place. And it's a reflection of our relationship with God. And that's a mystery we can't understand. But it's very, very special. So let him look and let him enjoy. You know, in February, we actually have a couple weeks where we talk about only this. My husband still thinks this is all we talk about every week. I said, no, it's not all we talk about every week. Um, so use your body to love him. Don't think he's using my body. Think he's enjoying my body. And it's something I have that he can enjoy with me. It's something I can give to him. It's a great gift. I wanted to read 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 5. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So it's a protection. It's a protection, ladies. You know, we can't deny our husbands for weeks and weeks and months and months and months. And not expect some kind of consequence. You know, we're setting him up for sin. And not that that makes excuse. Nobody ever has excuse to sin. But our part in that is we're not to deny. You know, I'm too tired. I'm too fat. I'm too thin. I'm too, you know, whatever I am. We need to quit looking for excuses. I just had a baby. I just was thinking about having a baby. You know, all the reasons we come up for for not wanting to get in bed with our husbands. And the truth is, even if I'm not in the mood, you know, if we're not in the mood, if we get started, those endorphins kick in. And by the end, you're probably having a pretty good time. So think about that when, you're, when your guy is looking for you in that way. Satan's deception. Get couples in bed before their marriage. Before they're married. And keep them out afterwards. That messes up everything. Getting in bed before marriage messes up everything. For young couples who decide to have sex before marriage or whatever age, you know, it seems like even in our culture, if you've been married and divorced, it's really okay to sleep around. I don't know how that translates, but God does say anything outside of the marriage bed is sin. So it's the same whether you're 15 or 65. Um, you know, our, our sexuality is be within the context of marriage. Um, but um, 
once if a couple jumps straight into the sack, you know, they they retard that growth in that relationship because the relationship stops growing because there's that to divert to. So it doesn't mature and bloom. And then once um, they they do get married, there's always that question. It's 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 uh, living together, uh, sleeping together, kind of creates this place where where you're not secure. There's just something very wonderful and special that God has designed. When I take those marriage vows, when I wait for my husband, when he waits for me, then we have this, we don't have any regrets from the past and we don't have things to think about from the past and we don't have things to compare to the past. We can move forward together. God can heal anything from the past. Likely there's been some things in your past that that maybe mess with you. It could be abuse of some kind. It could be um, incest. It could be um, pornography even, or another marriage, whatever. God can heal those things, but it has to be intentional. We have to keep giving it to God. It's a lot more work than just doing it as, if, as, you know, as God has given us. And then B, be thankful. First Thessalonians 5.18, be thankful for him. <clears throat> you forget sometimes what you loved about him in the first time? Is he driving you crazy? Think back, what do I love about this guy? And try to go there again. And maybe he's changed. And maybe he's changed in a good way. There's some things you can be thankful for in that way. But in everything, give thanks. And tell him you're thankful for him. Tell him you're thankful he goes to work. You know, it's the most spiritual thing he can do is to provide for his family. Thank him. And you know what really floats his boat? Thank him in front, front of somebody else. Your friends, your mom, your dad. Thank him. Oh, he'll feel so good about himself. And that's what you want. You want him to you want him to know that you honor him and respect him and you're thankful for him. Satan's deception on being thankful is to compare. Oh, man, I wish I had it like she did. I wish my husband was as attentive as he was. I wish we had the relationship they did. I wish we had the money they had. I wish we had the house they had, kids they had. Comparison is a killer. It's a thankful killer. Or being critical. Ladies, I know we think we're not critical. But if I stop and ask my husband, am I critical? The answer is almost always yes. I don't hear myself. I don't, and maybe I don't hear myself like he hears myself, right? So just quiet is a good thing. And if I just make sure that I compliment at least three or four times for every criticism, balance it out, give him some hope that he can do it right, that I'm not going to raise the bar. It kills me when he says, yes, you're critical. I hate that. So just be, just listen to yourself this week. Make a little scorecard. Critical compliment. Critical ooh. Compliment. Critical compliment. You'll hear the criticism a lot better if you're not if it's not all criticism. And it doesn't you know it doesn't have to be some bad criticism. Just something you you know you need to communicate that needs changing or fixing or whatever. So just make sure you're balancing what you say. It's not all negative. It's like you get you know shuts down. There's nothing you can ever do right. Hey, it's the next one. Always pray. God tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. Pray for your God. 
Pray for his strength, for his wisdom, for his leadership. Pray intentionally, ladies, for your guy, for the temptations he comes up against. You know, the, the more that Satan is unleashed in this world, the more people there are who do not care about what is right and wrong. And they do not even know what right and wrong is. And what they want is what they want. And that could be your husband. Pray for your guy. Pray for yourself to love him as you should. Don't take him for granted. Be there for him in all ways as his friend, as his lover, as his helper. Not in driving, but, you know, help in your household. And Satan's distraction, and that is just keeping us from praying, you know, not being intentional about it or forgetting or, you know, or not thinking it makes a difference. Prayer is everything. Prayer is our, our connection with God. Never doubt what, what uh, prayer can do. In, in the word husband is not mutual submission, ladies. When in um, 1 Peter 3.1, Ephesians 5, when it talks about women are to submit to their own husbands, in Titus 2, the word is hupatasa. And that means to put ourselves under. That word is used like 37 times in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and every time it means to put oneself in subjection to. Nowhere does it say mutual submission. We don't like to hear that. But we cannot have two heads of a household, and God has made our husbands number one. Again, that doesn't put you any less than. We voluntarily put ourselves under his submission. That doesn't mean you can't disagree. Let him know what you think. But ultimately, he's responsible to God for his family. And if he makes a mistake, he's responsible to God. And if he makes a mistake, what is the one thing we should not do? Say, I told you so. <laughs> there you go. Don't say, I told you so. Have grace and mercy. If you can't get to the place where you agree with it, what he said, at least try to be generous and give him the benefit of the doubt that he had good intentions. Right? Start there. See if you can get there. I don't, I don't appreciate the way that happened. I don't like what he did, but I know he had good intentions. Be generous. Think of the best case scenario. Don't always go to the worst case. Don't assume you know what he's thinking. He's different than you. He's wired different than you. And Satan's deception in that is just a part of the curse. You know, we, we will always want to be in control. We're always going to be in control of our husbands. We'll always want to lead. We'll always push against his leadership. Lucky guy. <laughs> right? Being sound-minded is remembering, thinking before I speak or act, pausing to ask the Holy Spirit, what is right to do in this situation? What should I say? What should I not say? Talk to your older lady and your godly woman. I would just like to say, too, in the context of seeking counsel, ladies, do not go to secular friends. Go to godly women. Go to women who have been through similar things. Go to women who know the word. And Naomi said, and I, I believe this to be true as well, we, women should not be seeking counsel from men. <clears throat> you know, we, we, we have Rita and Ken together for a couple. 
or Rita and Ken for a, per, a woman who needs to talk. But if a man counseling a woman, I don't care if he's a pastor, he's still a man. And the temptation there is still for him to want to protect her and to buy into her story. For a woman to go one-on-one -on -one with a man for counsel is a setup for disaster. This is what God has set up. The older women are to teach the younger women. They're to encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be kind, to be obedient, to be good, kind workers at home so that they don't blaspheme the word of God. Ladies, if you are serious about God's word, you will seek counsel that sends you back there, not that sends you away. The world is a big, scary place with lots and lots of pull against the word. Go to God's word. Seek the Holy Spirit. Seek friends with wise counsel. And D is do the, right, the next right thing. <clears throat> a godly woman is not a weak wife. Do you hear that? To be a godly woman is not to be weak. Well, submission is weak. Being a helper is weak. No. Those are places of influence, places of contribution. It takes obedience. It takes being sound-minded. Those take tenacity and strength that only comes from the Spirit and conviction. I love you, ladies. You come back week after week after week. And some days I see you and you're sad and you're struggling and you're working through something. And the next time I see you, you're full of light and you're excited because you've seen God's work, work in your life. You've seen godly counsel make a difference. You've seen Titus 2 um, encourage you to do the right thing. And we all talk about how we go home and we can hear, you know, somebody from class in our head. You know, I hear Naomi still, you know, um, well, I, I could hear you th saying that this week, or I thought about what you said to me. You know, we encourage each other. And um, it does take a quiet and gentle spirit, and that comes from the filling of the Holy Spirit. God asks us to be forgiving. He doesn't ask us, he tells us, to be forgiving. He says, if you want me to forgive you, you have to forgive others. And he says, Naomi always said, what is your 2%? You know, as mad as we get at our guys, he was so, you know, what was my 2% in that? What could I have done different? You will always find 2% ladies. If you stay at zero, like none of my fault, the hope of reconciliation is pretty slim. But if I can open that door, no matter how little it is, maybe he's really, he's really done something bad. But if I can open the door to the, the thought and the possibility that maybe I have a 2%, maybe it's just in my reaction. Maybe it's in the way I said it, said something. But if I can accept my 2% of our conflict, it goes a long, long way to opening that door to forgiveness and for reconciliation. You know, um, we talked a couple weeks ago about, you know, how do we know when we're filled with the Holy Spirit? There's a, there's a great book out that um, the man who wrote Love and Respect wrote, and it's called The Four Wills of God. And it's just four verses in the New Testament talk about, for this is the will of God for you. So here, here they are. I'm going to give them to you real quick. Um, one is, um, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at that last day. That's John 640. So a believer, that's God's will. God wish, God's will is that none should perish. 
This is kingdom business, ladies. This is not something we drum up on our own. Second, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. This, it's a hard time to be thankful. It's a hard time to be thankful. Satan has been let out of the pit. He is busy, dude. But with Christ in our hearts and the filling of the Holy Spirit, we don't need to be afraid. We need to learn to be thankful. We have to look for that joy, keep our minds and heart on that joy. 1 Peter 2.15, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Doing good, doing the next right thing. No one, do you care? Do you want to do what's right? Here's where you find it, in God's word. And you don't just read it and go the other way. You read it and you obey it. And then the last one is 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So that's four wills. If I am wondering if something's in or out of the, of the will of God, that's, that's a great little box to put in. It's a great little um, exercise in thinking, you know, if I care about God, if I care about obeying him, if I'm his child and I want to do what's right, can I say that it's in his will? And can I say that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? And I can't be filled with the Holy Spirit if I'm outside of his will. So this Fruit of the Spirit study, ladies, is really, really deep. It's um, a lot to think about. And in closing, let's see. I think I have one more little Naomi special for you here. This is a song they used to sing. Rochelle, I don't know, maybe you recognize the words. Um, they call it the theme song for Christtown, and I just found it yesterday. I am loved. I am loved. I can risk loving you. For the one who knows me best loves me most. I am loved. You are loved. Won't you please take my hand? We are free to love each other. We are loved. That's sweet. Do you recognize it? No. <laughs> so I have to, maybe I have to call Donna and see if she um, remembers a little verse or something, you know, a little tune that goes with that. And it doesn't say who wrote it, just that it's their theme song. And uh, maybe we could make a new one too. That'd be fun. So, ladies, um, I love you to death. If you have any questions, you're always welcome to come up and ask me. Um, let's go ahead and close in prayer, okay? Dear Jesus, we thank you for this time together. Oh my gosh, it goes fast, Lord. Your word is rich and it's true. Lord, I pray that we would um, be convicted in the things that, that we need to hear, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would just find our joy in you, that we would learn to love God and love people. Lord, help us to walk in the fruit of the Spirit this day. In Jesus' name.